So we've been talking about the upside down kingdom and doing the parables of Jesus. And tonight, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And, uh, you know, Jesus is, t these all of his parables, his kingdom parables, show us like an upside down world. They show us um, not the way the world is now, but the way the world should be. And so in this parable, he gives us a picture of forgiveness and uh, what it takes to forgive. Um, and so um, the question for you guys, the question for me is, can you forgive? The question that Peter has for Jesus is, how many times must I forgive my brother when he comes up to me? And he says, seven times? And Jesus says, seven times 70 or 490 times. Basically he's saying, every time you should forgive and so if you, if you would, look up here, Matthew chapter 18, or look in your Bible, um, verses 21 to 35, but before we read, let me just pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you that, Jesus, you have come to forgive sinners, and out of that forgiveness, you call us to forgive. And so, Lord, would you be with us? Would your spirit be with us as we look at your word tonight? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So hear God's word. This is Matthew 18, um, 21 to 34. <clears throat> then Peter came up and said to him, to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servants fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This ends the reading of God's holy word. So in the summer of 2015, you I'm sure have heard this story, Dylan Roof, entered the Emmanuel Church, the AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, and he attended a Bible study similar to this. 
He sat down there in the prayer gathering. He sat through the entire meeting and engaged in conversation. Was an, he was a new guest. He was welcomed, greeted, loved by the people that were there. And at the, as the meeting closed, he pulled out a handgun and he brutally shot and killed nine members in cold blood and then fled the scene. He was later arrested, charged, brought to trial. And one of the most powerful things I've ever seen, um, at his hearing, um, when he was indicted, members of, the, of those who were slain stood, and on TV they forgave, one after another, people forgave him. And this article that uh, in the New York Times kind of uh, talks about you know, the amazing aspect of forgiveness, but they have some quotes. And so as, as the people testified um, after he shot their relatives, here's what some of them spoke about. Here's one person, Ethel, Ethel Lance. I just wanted everyone, everybody to know, so they're facing Dylan Roof while he's there in the, in the courtroom. I wanted everyone to know to you, to you, I forgive you, said the daughter of Ethel Lance killed in the shooting. You took something very precious away from me. I will never talk to her ever again. I will never be able to hold her again, but I forgive you. She asked that God have mercy on the shooter's soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. May God forgive you, and I forgive you. A family member of Anthony Thompson said he forgave the shooter. He said this, quote, I forgive you and my family forgives you, but we would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Confess, give your life to the one who matters the most, Christ, so that he can change it, so that he can change your ways no matter what happens to you and you will be okay. Do that and you will be better. The mother of, of Tawanza Sanders, also killed, told the shooter, quote, we welcomed you Wednesday night in our Bible study with open arms, she said. Every fiber in my body hurts, and I will never be the same. Tawanza was my hero, but as we said in the Bible study, we enjoy you. May God have mercy on you. Some of the quotes from the people who stood there in the courtroom, amazing grace allowed them to forgive Dylan Roof of this incredible um, tragic thing where he murdered these people in cold blood. And so, as we think about forgiveness, the issue of forgiveness tonight, I'm using that as an example. That's a huge example. You might not be able to relate to that. But what about all the microaggressions that we live with? Roommates and friends that say things that hurt us. Things that get left done maybe with your roommates or, you know, conflicts. Maybe there's larger issues with your family. You're getting ready to go Thanksgiving dinner. Those are always interesting, right? Like, you know, because sometimes there's real conflict and real hurt in a lot of families. And sometimes going home for break can be hard. Um, the question is, like, how do you deal with those things? Maybe you've been sinned against verbally, emotionally, physically. Maybe property's been taken or stolen. Um, the point is, is this, is that since we are in this broken world, this simple world, this world that's upside down and not the way it should be, 
Um, you're going to have struggle, especially in relationships. Remember in the garden, the very first thing that happened after they took the fruit, right, was they started blaming each other. The man blamed the woman, like, this woman, Lord, you, you brought to me. Uh, at the heart of sin is often conflict with one another. Or we sin against someone or someone sins against us. And so this issue of forgiveness is so crucial to us. And so in this passage, we have Peter coming up to Jesus, like saying, like, Lord, like, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? In fact, in, in the Old Testament, there was this idea and tradition that like three times was the number. And there's mentioned in like Amos and some other places in the Old Testament where, so Peter's like saying seven times. And he's like saying, Lord, you know, three times, three times is, is the main, you know, thing that people do when they're really good at forgiveness. But like, how about seven times? Like, if I forgive my neighbor seven times, certainly that'll be enough, right? Because that's like times two plus one. You see that? I thought calculus. Um, so, so he's coming up thinking like there must be a limit. There's got to be some limit to forgiveness. Right, Lord? Like, you know, if somebody just keeps doing that, like, we don't have, we can just cast them away, right? And so Jesus has this parable to tell, tell them. So this is really practical. This is like such a practical um, part of the scriptures because you and I, we love to hold grudges. You and I love to just, you know, people do things against us and like we kind of write them off, right? You know, and you can see this maybe in your family circles, especially like when there's conflict, you know, between siblings or parents, you know, and the different ways that people um, deal with conflict. You know, some people are like, like me, I like to avoid conflict. Like I don't really like to, you know, let's just like, you know, push that away. Let me avoid you for a while and be passive aggressive against you, you know, and kind of do little things and think little speeches in my mind, but I don't really forgive you, okay? Um, some people though, they like deal right with conflict and like they're just, they fly off the handle, right? They're, it's kind of related to our personalities and how we deal with things. And so this is a great passage which shows us um, what, how we are to go about forgiveness. Um, so the main point really is this, like because we've been forgiven much, we need to forgive much. Because we've been forgiven much, we need to forgive much. And so how can we have the power to forgive? Three things. Know you owe. Two, know who paid. And three, stop scorekeeping. Okay? Stop keeping score. All right, so the first thing is this. How can we have the power to forgive? Because this is what Jesus is teaching in this parable. First thing is this. Know you owe. No, you personally owe. Know that you are ultimately the one in debt. Ultimately, that you are a sinner and you have been forgiven if you're a believer. But the fact is, is that first off, you have to see yourself as a big sinner. The entire parable um, is set up where it's speaking of the kingdom of God, the big picture, as a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And so in verse 23, um, he, he, the king is settling the accounts, and uh, we have a king, ultimately, you know, this is kind of the big picture. A king is the one who has given us everything we have. 
And he ultimately is the one who can demand from us because why? Because he created the air we're breathing, the food that we just ate, our body, the University of Maryland, the creation, all things visible and invisible. All these parables are very interesting because they ultimately, they always deal with a king and a kingdom. And the first thing we have to understand is we have to see that God has the right actually to demand from us to forgive people. I think we, we fail to see that sometimes, that like our life is in view from God and God is the ultimate king of the universe. And we must give a reckoning. And so the king comes to settle accounts is what this parable says. And that's, and in the big picture of things, the king of the universe is going to come at the end of time and he's going to settle accounts. There's a thing called the judgment day. And he is going to settle accounts with us. And do we understand that? Do we understand that this idea of forgiveness isn't just a side issue? But we will be forgiven if we are people who have forgiven others. Okay? We will, we will show the fruit of forgiveness if we have been forgiven and if we forgive others. And so what part of this parable is, is seeing how large a debt that we have, first off, that we are big sinners and that we serve a king who is infinite and holy without sin. And so the parable explains this king has given 10,000 talents to this servant at some point. And now the day of reckoning is here and he is to bring back the 10,000 talents. Now, what is a talent? We looked at that a couple weeks ago or last week. A talent equals 20 years wages of a laborer. Okay, so let's just put this in modern times. Maybe it's is $50,000, okay, so 50,000 times 20, that's a million, right? All right, so 10,000 times a million, somebody help me out. What is that? 10 million? You swear. No, it's more than that. 10,000 10, times, uh, 10,000 times uh, a million, what is that? That's a million. It's 10, billion. Ten billion. Ten billion. It's a little different. So the point is, the point, the point that's going on here is that this is an incalculable debt that nobody can pay this. There's no way this guy can pay this. You know, how's your how's your school loans doing? Okay. How about ten billion dollars? That's what you owe. Okay. So the point is, is the king. You know, is coming back, and this dude owes ten billion dollars. And so, bringing this forward, you know, that's mon monetary, but spiritually, what the whole scripture is saying is we are in debt to God for our sin, and that we have a debt we can't pay, and it's greater than anything we can imagine because we've sinned against a holy God. Now, you, you might think, well, that's unfair, like. I, I haven't done that much sin to like warrant that much, but it's all about the person you sin against, right? If you guys came over to my house and like you took a BB gun and shot me, like that would be a pretty big deal, right? You like shot me with a BB gun. But if you took that same BB gun to the South Lawn of the White House and you shot over there, 
Like, you would be in serious trouble and you would have to go to prison for many years, right? <laughs> Why? Because of the person you sinned against. God is holy, okay? And he is all, he's the ultimate creator. So when we sin, it's not just like, it's different than just sinning against one another. You're sinning against the holy God of the universe who created everything. So that's why sin is a big deal. It's bigger than we think. And so um, do you understand that you're a bigger sinner than you realize because you've sinned against this holy, ultimate God? Um, there was a, a pastor, missionary, Jack Miller, he, he said this, cheer up, you're worse than you thought. That he's, he's trying to like help us to recognize that we're a big sinner, but actually that's a good thing because if you know that you're a sinner, you know that you're far from God, then you can begin to understand what the gospel is all about and what grace is all about. So we've, we, we've sinned against the Holy God. That's the first thing. Like, do you know how much you owe? Do you know that you're dead in your sins? Do you know that you've transgressed the law of God? You have this massive debt that you can't pay. Um, and it's bigger than anything you can experience. And so, and at, at the end of time, God is the judge. He's the accountant that we have to come to to give an account of our lives. And he has the right to judge us, and he's specifically going to judge us about how we related to other people. And forgiveness is a big part of that. And if you're not forgiving other people, um, you will be condemned for that. You will be condemned. And so it's interesting, God, you know, I started watching The Crown again, because um, season three is out. Any Crown watchers? Okay, the crowns on Netflix. It's about the British. It's about the British Empire. It's about the Queen. But you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, Christianity is a monarchy. Christianity is a monarchy. God is the king. It's not a democracy. God has like created this world. He, but He's a good and loving and sovereign king who loves us dearly and ultimately gives us a son. But it's a king, and I think we forget a lot of times that. Our American ideas of like equality, democracy, and everything come in, but like when we come to God, it's a king, and he can demand of us because he created us, and he created everything in this world, and so he has the right to demand of us. And so he's giving an account, and so do we see our sin? Do we see how far we are in debt, and that God has the right to us, and he has the right to judge us? Okay, that's, this is the bad news about this, but you have to see you're a big sinner. Secondly, know who paid. Know who paid. So um, what we see in this passage is amazing grace because this king, this sovereign, um, says to the person who owes $10 billion, when he pleads, he forgives him all of his debt. Um, amazing. Out of pity for him, the master to the servant released him forgave him his debt. How did he do it? Did he just wipe it clean by his, by his words? Well, scripturally, when we think about debt and sin, God doesn't just say you're forgiven without something behind that. What had to happen in order for us to be forgiven is that God himself had to pay the debt. And this is what the gospel is. The gospel is the king of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, gets sent as the messenger of the king, God himself, and he takes upon himself our punishment and our debt and dies on the cross 
his blood is shed, and he pays our debt to the Father so that we no longer have to pay for our own sins. And so this is really what the gospel, Isaiah 63, 5 says, um, Isaiah says, I looked and there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to, to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation and my wrath upheld me. What Isaiah is saying is that no one else could do it, but God worked his own salvation himself. And uh, later on in 53, he says that the son um, became sin for us. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. So what we have in the gospel is the one who pays our debt. But God himself is the one who paid it down. It's not just like God the judge saying, okay, that's okay, you're, you're free to go. Your, your debt's forgiven. It's forgiven because he himself paid the debt himself with his blood. Like it's a real forgiveness because he himself paid it. I think that's another thing we miss. We think, oh, God can do anything he wants. He can just like say you're forgiven. He's the one who paid down. When, when it comes to forgiveness, someone has to pay. Someone has to pay. It's either you pay it or the other person pays it. And what the amazing thing in the gospel is God himself pays it for us. And so this is the gospel of grace. The king himself pays the debt. How do we forgive? Okay. Um, know this one who forgives us. Know the Lord Jesus Christ. Know that you are a big sinner and you deserve his just wrath. You deserve hell. That you There's nothing you can do but... So you have this huge debt that you can't pay. But Jesus, his son, loved us so much that he pays the debt for us. And so if you understand that, if you understand the gospel of grace and how much you are forgiven, then therefore you should forgive. So in this parable, we have the debt being forgiven, this man, and then he goes out and he doesn't remember that and he finds somebody that owes him a few denarii, which is basically three months' wages. So we're talking about $10 billion compared to three months' wages, a few thousand dollars. And he goes and he puts that person in jail because he forgot how much he had been forgiven. And so the last point is this. Forgiveness means we need to stop keeping score. It means that we need to keep remembering how much we've been forgiven. We need to live out of that grace. So the parable shows us being forgiven a great debt um, means that we need to forgive others their debts against us. And you might ask, well, what about the people that never ask for forgiveness? You know, because in this parable, Peter says, when my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? And the thought is, well, that person maybe came and said, hey, I'm sorry, or, you know, I did this again. Is it just the people that come to you and are honest and, like, say, hey, I, I need to ask your forgiveness? Do you just forgive the people that do that and then the other people that sin against you just kind of hold grudges? What do you guys think? No. You have to be a forgiving person no matter what. Because remember the Lord Jesus on the cross. What did he say? 
Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. So those people didn't ask for forgiveness. And likewise, for us, we have to live out of a heart of forgiveness and grace. Even if people don't, even if people don't ask us, and this is really, really hard because the more you have been sinned against, the harder it is to offer forgiveness. Again, how do we not keep score? It's by living out of grace and running back to the fact that, number one, I owe a large debt myself, a bigger debt. In fact, when I do marriage counseling, you know, I always talk about you two are sinners and you're going to be big sinners and you're going to sin against each other. So number one, who's wrong? Both of you, you know what I mean? When, when there's arguments, um, you have to come at it as like, man, I'm a big sinner too. The only way you can get reconciliation in relationships is that if, is if both people understand and that, that they're humbled by their sin. Then you have a great starting point for a good marriage. If both people see that they're sinners and, they, and that they're going to fail and they're honest about their sin, they can be honest then about reconciliation and love. Um, but if one person is like never asking for forgiveness and just doing whatever they want to do, then that's going to be a really hard marriage. There's going to be a lot of conflict. Um, and so forgiveness means we need to stop keeping score and live out of the grace of God's forgiveness for us. It doesn't mean we look lightly at sin. It means that we deal with sin. In fact, this whole chapter is dealing with Hey, when your brother sins against you, you should go to him and tell him his sin. And if he doesn't listen to you, you take another person or you take the church with you. So the whole, the whole idea here is like sin is crucial, understanding that and dealing with that, not just letting it go. But ultimately, we have to come at this from a heart of forgiveness um, because we have been forgiven amazing grace. The last story I want to share with you is... Uh, Corey Ten Boom. I don't know if anybody's ever read the book *The Hiding Place*, but Corey Ten Boom was a a Dutch woman. Her and her sister and father owned a clock shop in um, in Holland. And when World War II started, before that, they started hiding Jews in their house, and uh, they had secret rooms and everything. And then ultimately, the Nazis found out. They arrested them. They sent the family to these concentration camps. So the book, The Hiding Place, great read, highly recommend it. But it tells the whole story of their captivity, being in a concentration camp by the name of Ravensbrook. And her sister Betsy actually succumbed to death there. But Corey lived. And so she tells the story um, um, about the experience in the book. And then she went on like worldwide tours. Actually, when I was a very little kid, uh, I saw her speak at Westminster High School. This is years and years ago before she died. Um, and so, she's, so, so after the book and after the war is over, she's proclaiming this because her sister Betsy said, we have to tell this story. We have to tell what God has done uh, in the midst of the, the concentration camp. And so basically she goes out and she tells the gospel and she's speaking at churches. And then one night, there he was in the audience. And I'm just going to read this portion from the book. One of her captives, one of the SS guards, 
who was there torturing and watching them um, is there in the crowd at this church. Um, and here's what she says. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time, and suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face, he came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein. He said, to think that as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often to the people in Blumenthal, the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer, Jesus I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this parable about forgiveness. Lord, help us to see how much we have been forgiven and the debt we have, we have uh, incurred and that Jesus has paid that debt. Help us, Lord, to live uh, a life of forgiveness as we hurt others and as others hurt us. Lord, help us, help us to live this out. Um, in the nitty-gritty of our lives, and we pray that in Christ's name.